Welcome to the podcast for Sunday, January 7th, 2018. May God use this as a blessing to you today. And now, Pastor Aaron Stenberg. Now, if you had asked me a couple of years ago what my favorite hobbies are or what my favorite thing to do in my free time, I would probably tell you something like, singing in choir or uh, martial arts or, or reading all different kinds of books like uh, biographies or science fiction. Uh, but lately, I have changed my mind because I have discovered just how much I enjoy escape rooms. And I don't know if you've heard of what escape rooms are. Um, they're a relatively uh, new form of entertainment in the United States, although they've been around for about a decade in, in Europe and in Asia. But the basic premise is that uh, you are locked in a room with a group of people, about six to ten people usually, and you have one hour to find a way out. And the employees monitor you uh, through cameras, so it's very safe. If there was an emergency, they could get you out. And they do give you hints if you absolutely need it. But for the most part, you are on your own. There are clues and there are hints that are hidden throughout the room. Uh, sometimes there are additional rooms that you have to discover or uh, hidden trap doors that reveal new clues for you or locks that you have to find the key or crack the code in order to make it out in time. And one of my favorite escape rooms that I ever did, I did with my family, this is us, and it was a Sherlock Holmes escape room. And it had bookshelves just filled with books and Sherlock Holmes violin case and, and the whole nine yards. And we made it out with just minutes to spare. Escape rooms are a great way to see how you work in team situations. And in this particular room, and I'm so sorry for the spoilers, but you had, at one point, you had to have two different people touch two specific books on the bookshelf at opposite ends of the room. And when two people did this at the same time, a lock, a mechanism was tripped, and the bookcase swung away to reveal a hidden room. It was a lot of fun. It's an activity that shows you how you work with other people. Do you take charge of the situation? Do you listen to the input of others? Do you find yourself leading or following? Or does it depend on the team that you find yourself with? Throughout our lives, we've all had times in which we are called to fill each of these roles. There are times where we are called upon to, t to lead, to take charge. And there are other times when we are called to follow the leadership of others. And so today, as the very first Sunday of the year, what better way to start the new year than to look to Jesus and his leadership example to help us unpack what it means to follow him in 2018. Let us pray. O oh God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O oh God, our rock and our redeemer. 
Amen. Over the years, I've held a number of widely different jobs before God called me into ministry, from making pizza at Costco to mall security to working at Juvenile Hall, to being a vault clerk where I counted the money, they've, they've varied greatly. And during that time, I've also had a, a number of bosses, and they also have varied greatly. Some were just wonderful, and others, well, let's just say it was a fantastic opportunity to learn about traits that some leaders have that I would never, ever ever want to imitate. As you think back through your lives, I'm sure that you've experienced both kinds of leadership. And isn't it true, uh, we learn from what we see modeled before us. Even though we might hear time and time again, do what I say and not what I do, we are still influenced by what we see. And too often in the world today, we see examples of leadership that are uh, based on the premise of, of violence or domination or control. And unfortunately, our human tendency is to blindly follow. The year is 1961, and it is three months after the beginning of the trial of Adolf Eichmann, a German Nazi war criminal. And in light of the Holocaust, people are wondering about the level of accountability for those who claimed that they were just following orders. And so a Yale University psychologist named Stanley Milgram devised an experiment to address the question of authority and obedience. And in this experiment, there was an experimenter who was in charge of the situation and a learner. And both of these individuals were actors. They, they knew what was going on. They were playing a part. And the experiment was actually geared towards the subject or the, the teacher. And this teacher was just a person like you or me, someone who volunteered to be a part of this experiment for a single session. And Milgram describes the experiment in the Journal of Abnormal Psychology and Social Psychology by saying that the teacher and the learner were then separated so they could communicate, but they could not see each other. The teacher was given a list of word pairs, and the goal of the teacher was to teach the learner these word pairs. The teacher began by reading through the list these pairs of words, And then the teacher would read one pair, and the learner would have to pick between four options as to which was the correct answer. And if the answer was incorrect, the teacher would then administer a shock, an an electric shock to the learner, with the voltage increasing by 15 volts every time they got the answer wrong. And if the answer was correct, they simply went on to the next pair. Now, the electric shocks were not real. They were pre-recorded sounds, but the subject, the teacher, didn't know that. They thought they were real. They only heard the learner yelling and protesting louder and louder each time they gave them a shock. And when the highest voltage was reached, the learner fell silent. If the subject, if the teacher ever objected to what they were being told to do. They were given four verbal prods 
from the experimenter. The first one. Please continue. Number two. The experiment requires that you continue. It is absolutely essential that you continue. You have no other choice. You must go on. The experiment ended when the subject gave the learner the highest shock three times in a row, despite the silence. In Milgram's first set of experiments, 65%, 26 of 40 people of the experiment participants administered that final massive 450-volt shock. And all of the participants administered shocks of at least 300 volts. And this experiment has been replicated many times to similar results. It's a bit scary to think about this idea that we will follow authority even to the harm of others. And while hopefully we will never find ourselves in this kind of situation, the question of who we listen to, who we follow, is still a prevalent question for us today. But we are fortunate. As followers of Jesus, he is our standard of leadership. We can gauge the powers of this world to him in order to help us answer that question. And Jesus shows us a different kind of leadership, a different and a better use of authority. Jesus never expected us to blindly obey. His has always been an open invitation of come and see. Jesus is the best model of one who practiced what he preached, who led first and foremost by example. And we see that in our text this morning as Jesus comes to the river to be baptized. In our Christian calendar, today is the baptism of the Lord Sunday, the mark of the very beginning of Jesus's ministry, just before he goes into the wilderness to be tempted. The year is AD 27, and there is a buzz in Jerusalem, an excitement in the air that is just traveling from person to person, from family to family throughout the city and into the whole Judean countryside. For a man has appeared in the wilderness. And not just any man, but the son of the priest, Zechariah, and his wife, Elizabeth, from the city of Judah. And he came from this place, from Ein Karem, from oaks and olive trees, from a, a life of comfort and, and predictability. And he came to the wilderness by the Jordan River, wearing camel hair and a leather belt around his waist. And people are talking. They are saying that this John, this baptizer, is crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. And so many people were going to see him. Something was about to happen. We could feel it. And we were ready. We were ready for a new life. We were, we were ready for a new way of living. We wanted to let go of our mistakes, to let go of our failings, to repent and, and to be forgiven. And so we went to the River Jordan to find this man, John. 
And he was there, along with the people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem, all ages, all types of people, confessing their sins and being baptized. It was a sight to see. And he spoke, and he told us of one who is coming, of one who is more powerful than he, of one who is greater than he, one who would baptize with the Holy Spirit. The day of the Lord must be at hand. And all those who are gathered here, not only have we been purified, but we've been gathered together by baptism. We've been marked as ready for what is to come. For we know that salvation often starts with the wilderness. After the exodus, our people were in the wilderness for 40 years before the promised land. Moses and Elijah and David all fled to the wilderness at some point during their lives. And then a hush came over the crowds as a man appeared, simply dressed. (laughs) He came with no fanfare, and he quietly walked down to the river. There was, there was nothing really remarkable about his appearance, but we all became silent, and we watched as he walked past. And he, he joined John in the River Jordan, and he was baptized as the crowds all gathered along the banks. And there was this moment when he came out of the water, a pause, as he looked up to the heavens. And then he walked off in the wilderness. We didn't, but many of us almost dropped what we were doing and walked after him. We don't know what is to come, but we do know that salvation often starts in the wilderness. And so we are ready for when this man appears again. What must it have been like to be there that day, to witness such a profound moment, a moment that would change and shape the world forever? The Gospel of Mark is unique amongst the Gospels in its depiction of Jesus' baptism. The other Gospel writers sometimes seem a little bit hesitant in depicting Jesus as being baptized by John. Possibly because Mark 1, 4 states that John is proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. As Jesus is one who lived a sinless life, why did he need to be baptized? Ken Greer, in his devotional book, Moments with the Savior, writes, One by one, the people came forward. And out of the gravel of their broken hearts, John begins to pave a highway in the desert, a highway for the coming king. But when the king comes, he comes to be baptized along with all the others. And John can't believe it. For what did Jesus need to repent? For nothing. That is both the mystery and the majesty of his baptism. Witness the humiliation of God. At his birth, he stepped down from heaven to take on our flesh. At his baptism, he steps down even further to take on our shame. 
He descends into the valley of repentance, willing to not only stand on the banks with us in our humanness, but also to wade in the water and stand with us in our sinfulness. How far would the Savior go? To what depths would he descend in wooing an indifferent world? As Jesus came from the water, he saw the heavens torn apart, Not a nice, gentle image, but one of supremacy, one of power. And as we read further in Mark, as Jesus goes out into the wilderness to be tempted, power is one of the temptations put before him. Would he be a conquering hero, vanquishing his enemies at the point of a sword? For make no mistake, Jesus had that option. But instead, he goes to be baptized, and a dove descends for him to hear the voice of his father saying, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. The contrast of the tearing apart of the heavens with the peace, the gentleness, the grace of the dove descending on him speaks volumes to which path Jesus will choose to follow. And the question for us today remains, will we do the same? For we all have that same temptation. We have that same fork in the road. Jesus' example gives us pause in reflecting how we demonstrate our own leadership and how we live our everyday lives. And we might not have anything as dramatic as the choices of those who wield higher mantles of authority But we each have thousands of decisions each and every day. How will I deal with conflict at work or with a challenging relationship? How will I parent my children? Am I leading by example? When we find ourselves in positions of power or influence, will our choices be for the glory of God or ourselves? Jesus is truly the best model of leadership. His true authority came from an authentic, love-filled life. Emmanuel, God with us, an obedient son, a servant leader who drew our attention always to his father. His was a life that touched all those he met and has changed the lives of thousands and millions of people over the centuries a life that led to the ultimate expression of love, a life given for us on a cross. For Jesus gives us a deeper and a greater power than the world can ever know, one that transcends our petty worldly struggles for position, for wealth, for power. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus proved that death no longer has the final word. Today and in the days to come, may our lives reflect the joy and the hope that that brings. And as we continue to follow Jesus, may our lives reflect the love of God. Amen.